0: May 31, 2020. Jesus teaches about living water.
1: <clears throat> okay, today we uh, have uh, the privilege of having uh, Charles Brown uh, do the prayer, and then we'll uh, we'll jump right into the lesson. So, Charles, if you would, lead us in prayer. Amen to jump. Lord, we do thank you today that we know you, and we know that you are God, and there is no other. And we come to you today, Lord, because, like Peter, we don't have anywhere else to go. There is nowhere else to go but you, and we just thank you and praise you, Lord. You made yourself known to us, and we just thank you now, Lord, for the opportunity to look into your word. Give us grace, Lord, as we look at your word. And we will not only read your word, not only hear your word, but your word will pop, become part of us. Open our hearts and minds to be totally obedient be given over to Jesus Christ 100% as
0: he gave himself for us 100% total commitment give us grace to do the same thing in our lives totally commit to your son Jesus Christ bless the lesson now Lord use it to change lives make us what we ought to be what
1: we want to be for Christ's sake we pray and ask you bless Joseph as he leads it through Christ we pray amen amen thank you Charles uh This lesson uh, today is, is the last lesson in this quarterly. And During the month of May, we've studied Christ's resurrection, the good news, and the power of his resurrection, and what it means for you and me. We considered how Jesus fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy on the Messiah and how the people rejected him. We looked at Jesus' teaching on the new birth and the reconciliating role of Christ on the cross that makes possible the transformation of our hearts through the new birth. In this session, we will examine Jesus' teaching on living water. We find that it is He who gives us living water. This living water is the Holy Spirit. The water is eternally satisfying for the believer. He also explains the true worship of God. Jesus is the channel uh, of our uh, reconciliation with the Father, and within that uh, restored relationship, we find the abundant life that overflows for the salvation of others. Um, One of the fundamental verses of this section is John 4, 4, and it says this, "...and he must need to go through Samaria." Some uh, translations say he had to go through. On first, in First Kings, we find out why this animosity came about. Israel was divided into two nations in the days of Rehoboam. Uh, Israel was composed of ten tribes to the north, and Judah was made up of Judah and Benjamin in the south. The animosity between the northern and southern kingdoms began immediately after the division, as Samaria was the capital city of the northern kingdom, with Jeroboam as her king. Uh, Rehoboam assembled an army to make war against Israel to reunite the kingdom. But in King, in First Kings 12, 21, we read that God intervened through it through a prophet. And when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, and had one hundred and eighty thousand warriors ready to fight. But God said no, and God said to Rehoboam that this is from Me. So Rehoboam sent them all uh, home, and uh, that's where the the animosity began to build up. Uh, later, after Assyria. Began to uh, intermarry with the Assyrians. The, they began to intermarry with the Assyrians, and this is why the Jews hated the Samaritans and called them dogs or half-breeds. Uh, it is here that Jacob brought, bought land and dug a whale. The distance between Samaria and Jerusalem is about thirty-five miles. Nothing happens by chance in this story. One more time. Nothing happens by chance in this story. Every detail is a part of the working of God's will. And that is a hugely important part. The woman isn't looking for Jesus. All she wanted was water. But Jesus is looking for her. You have to go to Samaria if you want to reach Samaritans. He doesn't avoid Samaria and he doesn't hurry uh, through it. Though she doesn't know it, this woman has a divine appointment with the Son of God. Uh, to talk to this woman, Jesus deliberately took the route through Samaria to get to Galilee. Now, he had three choices. He could have went by way of the sea. He could have crossed over the Jordan and went up and came back across. But you've got to remember one thing. Jesus had a mission in mind, and he goes straight to Samaria. The word must uh, really kind of uh, 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 got the attention of the disciple. Why must we go through Samaria? In verse 34, he tells us this, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. His destination was apparently Canaan of Galilee where he had turned water into wine and there was a certain nobleman there whose son was sick unto death, and he's headed that way, but he has to go through Samaria to get there. And uh, so uh, now we're going to read uh, the first session of of uh, of our scripture, and uh, Kevin's going to read that for
0: us. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, Give me a drink. You would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up for him for eternal life.
1: Okay, uh,
0: J. Vernon McGee
1: makes a very interesting observation. He says, if you will look at Nicodemus in chapter 3 and the Samaritan woman in chapter 4, you can draw some real strong parallels. First of all, they both came to Jesus when it was the proper time. Uh, Nicodemus came at night because he didn't want interruptions. He wanted to learn. The Samaritan woman came out of necessity. She came at noon, hottest part of the day in that area. The sun's blazing down, and but she came at that time to avoid confrontation from the other women. Uh, we'll see as we go along, her reputation uh, actually at that point uh, was, was pretty loose, and so she came at that particular time. Now, I, I love this point here. That uh, when they when he came to Samaria, he came to 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 the well. The well was Jacob's well. He had bought the land dug the well. Uh, his son Joseph's uh, tomb is nearby, and the well was there. So Jesus, weary from his journey, was sitting as as uh, Kevin read. He was sitting beside the well in the heat of the day. And I really, really love what the Christian Standard Bible says. It says this: He was worn out. It says he was weary from his journey. But th- this translation makes it brings it so real. You ever been worn out? I mean, if you ever worked all day, worked in the heat of the day, and you just worn out, you got you don't have a whole lot left in you uh, physically. And that's the point Jesus was at. And he sat down by the whale, okay? And so as he sits there, he's, he's presented then with the appearance of, of the, the Samaritan woman. If we could have a recording of, of this conversation, one thing might jump out just as strong as, as the words used in the conversation. Uh, remember when uh, Nicodemus started his conversation with Jesus and he asked some questions and Jesus didn't bat an eye. Boom! He jumped right in and with a strong, authoritative voice, he told Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you're not even going to see the kingdom of heaven. He was pretty stern with Nicodemus. Okay, when he sits down by the well and the woman walks up, Jesus starts the conversation. He, he asked her in the calmest, sweetest voice, give me a drink. That's all he said. Give me a drink. And Jesus speaks first, and that's really important. He initiated the conversation, and I really believe his voice was the same as as Elijah heard when Jesus spoke, when God spoke in that steel small voice. You know, a voice that just soothed everything. Okay, and so what we got now is this. Think this for a minute. Now, this let's use our imagination. We got Jesus sitting there. The woman walks up, and he gives. He he asked her, give me a drink. Now, Kevin just read what she said. If we could, if you wouldn't mind, if we could just paraphrase what she said. in, In today's culture, you got two opposing ethnic groups. And Jesus said, give me a drink. And I'm just here today, the lady saying, you're talking to me? You're talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Why are you talking to me? But Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Now, He didn't change his tone. Could we do that? If you started a conversation with somebody uh, at a a ballpark, at a restaurant, at a a stoplight, and they jump down your throat, your biggest, your first impulse is to jump right back. Not many of us would say in a really calm manner that, You know, what Jesus said is if you just knew the gift of God, Romans 8.32 tells us what the gift of God is, God's own son. And then Romans 8.23 says this, but the wages of sin and death, but the free gift, this is a gift Jesus is talking about, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And who is saying to you, give me a drink? You would ask him, and he would give you living water. Now notice for the first time now, the first word of verse 11, the woman says, Sir. All of a sudden, her whole demeanor begins to change. Instead of being in that confrontational mode now, she says, sir, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where are you going to get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? Now here's what she was trying to do there. She's tying the uh, Samaritan race back to Jacob and Joseph and his sons, That's where their lineage came from. And she said he gave us this well and he drank from it. So she's trying to say, I go to the same church that Jacob went to. Have you ever been talking to somebody and and to make a point about their religion, they say, you know, I go over to the Second Baptist Church uh, trying to tie in to religion through a church building. Okay, and... uh, we go from there, we get to the point now where Jesus is talking about the living water, and he's talking about that water that comes from the, from the fountain in, in uh, Zechariah, uh, uh, Zechariah 13, where he said, The fountain opened up for the house of David in the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin. And uncleanliness. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from this water, you're going to get thirsty again. Whoever drinks from the water that I will give you will never thirst again. In fact, the water I will give you becomes a well springing up in you for eternal life. Jesus repeats this again later in his ministry, and John records it. In, in John six thirty five, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now notice what God said, what Jesus said here. Notice that though, although Jesus calls himself the bread of life, he does not refer to himself as the living water. Living water rather symbolizes the Holy Spirit whom he would send them. And she quickly uh, linked the well to its original digger and owner. And the emphasis in the, in the Samaritan woman's life could not be fulfilled with the physical water from any well. After every drink, her thirst would return. But those who have trusted in Jesus have within them a bubbling spring which will quench spiritual thirst That is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. Every heart contains a God-induced thirst from which the only adequate quenching is the water of life provided by Jesus through the Samaritan woman. Excuse me, through the uh, Holy Spirit. My computer jumped here. The Samaritan woman's real problem was the need of a solution for our sins because God hates sins apart from sin we are all enemies of God Jesus Jesus highlighted her need for a, a permanent solution for her deepening thirst telling her that if she knew who he was she would be begging him for a drink of water Without new birth in Christ, we are all riddled with sin. Our sinful nature has separated us from God since the fall. In fact, not only are we estranged from God, but our sins cause us there to be an in- intimacy or hostility between God and us. Paul in Romans one twenty eight thirty two 32 explains this sin. Now this is a little long but it is so deep and so this is why God hates sin and this is why we can't do anything about it by ourselves. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, Malice. They were. They are gossips, slanderers, hater of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, uh, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know not God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they are not only. They not only do them, but they give approval those who practice them. Isn't that amazing? As you listen to that list, you know, that's why God hates sin. Even in Ephesians 2, 1 and 3, it says, and you were, were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of Ralph like the rest of mankind. All of us are thirsty, longing for something that will satisfy us completely. Now, we, we each try to satisfy that thirst, and it looks different in every person. Fortunately for us, God loves his enemies, and works toward our salvation. Uh, Kevin is going to read uh, the second set of uh,
0: verses now. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, when Jesus told her, Believe
1: me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem, He's talking about the real essence of spiritual worship. Malachi 1.11 says, For from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I desire then that in every place... I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarrelling. And then he says that the Samaritans really don't know what they're worshiping, and that goes back to the building of their temple. Uh, when the when the uh, kingdom split, the, the temple was in Jerusalem. So. Uh, Jeroboam went and built a temple uh, trying to build one just like it uh, in, in Samaria. And what happened when the, when the, the uh, people were carried off uh, into captivity that the king sent back people to uh, populate the land. And as they went into the temple from their own, it wasn't a matter of not having a god. It was a matter of having all gods. And so they brought into the temple all the idols, everything that they were accustomed to worshiping. And so it just became a a situation where almost everything in the land was turned into an idol. Nature, uh, all kinds of statues uh, that represented uh, powers not on this earth. So it was... It was an amazing thing, and the Samaritans had no idea what it was that they were actually worshiping. And then he said, we worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. It says, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that we that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth in the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, Isaiah 2 and 3. And Paul explains in Romans 9, 3 to 5, they are Israelites. Now he's telling why that the, 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 the nation of Israel, uh, why God chose them. He didn't, they didn't earn it, God chose them from the start. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, worship, and the promises. And to them belong the patriarchs, and from their own race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. He's saying that from that nation is going to come the Christ, who is God over all blessed forever. Amen. But But the hour is coming now when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit, and in truth, yes, the Father wants people to worship him. Do you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? First Corinthians 3.16 says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and the glory of Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the faces of the earth, having determined allotted periods. while. Let that sink in. Having determined allotted periods, there is a time for everything. And the boundaries of their dwelling place, they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Can you get that picture? And they should seek God, perhaps feeling. You know, when you can't see, then you resort to just feeling your way along. And it says, for in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of our own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the uh, divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. When a person is full, is filled with the Holy Spirit by faith in Jesus Christ, he or she is capable of seeing the kingdom of God and knowing God in truth. It is only through the new birth, uh, the spirit that we are taken from our broken state in sin and made new. We have all different opinions about what is proper worship. Now, you, we could stop right here and stay a long time. Opinions are fine to have, but we are if we're not careful, our personal preferences can override our understanding of biblical worship. And, and the first thing you start with, every one of us can remember back sometime in our life a church that split over some silly things the color of the carpet, the size of the chandelier, whether or not in the back there was a place to hang the coats. All of that stuff is, is zero, is not important. What is important about worship is that it is done in spirit and in truth. The Bible makes it clear that our physical space of worship are not in need of perfection. God isn't looking for beauty in the house. He's looking for purity in the heart. Nor are we even, essential. God points out to the Samaritan woman that the time has come when the spiritual space where she worshiped would not matter. Okay, now
0: we're going to go to the third set of verses. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified he told me everything I ever did. The woman said to him,
1: I know that Messiah is coming. Okay? When she said that she has come billion miles from are you talking to me she came from are you talking to me to I know that the Messiah is coming and when he comes he will tell us everything and then Jesus said to her I who speak to you am he now this is this is so important he told her who he was and this had not always been the case you can remember back healing And when he asked them, go, but tell no one who did this. Throughout the gospel, Jesus was hesitant to proclaim his identity outright when traveling and teaching among the Jews. He likely wanted uh, to avoid the political and the military baggage many Jews had attached to their expectations of the Messiah. See, they were expecting uh, a, a king like David, a warrior king. David didn't get to build a temple because of all the blood he had shed. And, and, and Christ isn't that, he, he wasn't coming as that kind of a king the first time. Avoid, he wanted to avoid that political and military baggage. So he told them, don't, say, don't tell them who I am. Now, that didn't always sink in. Most of them got up and ran telling uh, what Jesus had done uh, for them. So the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people. Now, if you look at four or five different translations, there's two words. People, which means everything, or you find in several instances it said and she went to the men. She went to the men. J. Varda McGee said she went back to where she came from. The women of the town had very little to do with her. So she went back where she had someone she knew. Now the word man is translated in a lot of places as people. So th- this isn't about an argument or a debate what that means. It's just it's interesting that she went back to where she came from. But she went back a different person. Come and see the man who told me everything I did. Can this be the Christ? Okay. Uh, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Now, uh, this is so important. We all have a testimony every single one of us. We all have uh, a moment where we ask Christ to come into our life and then we have those moments of how and what He changed in our life. And her testimony was simply He told me all that I ever did. And so uh, I remember uh, being really uh, hesitant. My roommate in college was going to turn out to be the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He was a great uh, soldier in the, in the war. Uh, he he was shot, laid on a body pile uh, to be put into a bag. Someone saw him move and pulled him off. And he had a great testimony. Uh, he could talk about the, the, the sergeant who pulled him off and how he related that to Christ, pulling him from sin. You know, but that wasn't my testimony. If I told something like that, I'd be making something up. Born in a Christian home, right across the street from the church.
0: But that made me no more of a better person than the one
1: raised in the gutter, because we're all full of sin. So my testimony, your testimony, the things that God has done for us, What's important about him is that we share. We share that. And her, and her testimony uh, was really effective. As the Messiah, Jesus accomplished the work of reconciling us to God. He is the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world. The means by which our broken relationship with God is restored and renewed. The, as as. Uh, John said about John the Baptist, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is his perfect righteousness that is presented to the Father on our behalf for our justification. He is the triumphant King who delivers his people and restores all of their creation. If we trust that Jesus is, is who he says he is. He is our salvation. The Samaritan woman was compelled to tell others about her encounter, encounter with Jesus. And uh, that, that became her testimony. You know, this is every every lesson uh, in the Bible uh, gotta tell you what it was before uh, it is told. It's, it's a parable, it's a saying. This isn't a parable of the Samaritan woman. This is an account of Jesus finding a sinner exactly where she was. And you know, God, God's with us every day exactly where we are. Uh, our prayer through uh, this time we're going through that we would be faithful, that God will find us faithful during these times. Uh, We have a class. We have a group of people around us that uh, love each other, that uh, pray for each other. Uh, I've been amazed uh, through this how people have different attitudes about it. But the most important thing is really to realize it didn't catch God by surprise. He knows uh, what's going on and he knows how it's going to end and he knows what's going to happen on the other side of it. And that may be the most important thing what happens on the other side of it uh, i want to thank you uh, for uh letting us be a part of this class want to thank you for what you do for each other uh, i, I want to apologize it seemed like when we first started uh it, it was uh, uh, a part of the day to, to check to catch up on people uh, I pray that we all don't go slack on that. Uh, and, I, and I pray that God will, uh, will bless our efforts on that part. Uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you are the living water, that the spirit of God that you give uh, is so that we can have eternal life in you. God, uh, we, we, we don't claim to understand uh, everything, but God, what we do claim is that we know, Heavenly Father, that you died on the cross for the redemption of our sins. And for that, we thank you. We thank you with all our heart, God. We thank you that every day when we get up, that you already know what's going to unfold. God, just make us faithful to stay in line with, with uh, what we read and believe from the Bible. Forgive us when we fail you. Bless the sickness in our class. God, bless the ones who are going through treatments. Bless the ones, God, who are, are going to doctors to try to, to get better, God, so that we can better serve you. Forgive us, God, of all our sins and shortcomings, for it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.